This is Aliens and Artists. Episode 2, Part 2 of our interview with Nadine Lalich. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. On one hand, there's so many artists selected for contact, and it doesn't seem incidental. Maybe it's because artists are cultural influencers. And on the other hand, we have this great interest from these entities and artists, but there's an absence of art in their environments. Do you feel like that absence is a deficiency or just a difference between us and them? Well, all right. So if we look, we're going to look at our culture here. It's it just, what am I going to say one culture? It's the whole planet, okay? And within on the planet, and, you know, there's a tremendous amount of lack of respect and chaos and violence. And a lot of it stems from childhood. That's why my next mission is working on childhood issues. I have a whole different deal going over there because that carries into adulthood. Unfortunately, if you're harmed when you're a child, you tend to become a victim or a perpetrator, unfortunately. Um, So say for example, we're looking at, let's just take tall whites as a race. And we'll say that the tall rights, let's go back millennium, and we see that the tall rights, whites are a warring race. But they've developed to the point where they realize genetically they can alter themselves and start to take that out of their babies. So they begin to genetically play with their own race, okay? And over time, they're able to get rid of that. But what happens un- unexpectedly is they also get rid of the sense of love, mm. compassion. You know, uh, some of the things that we absolutely treasure. So they, in, in trying to eradicate one, they lost the whole package. And now here they are. Why would so many races come to this planet? Say we're seated. But I think what happened is I think we were seated and there was um, somewhere along the way. And then we were left on our own. And when left to the greater picture of the greater cosmos, it evolved us with the emotion. They may have come here originally and done that. And when they got us going, we went from the ape and then suddenly we had this, this gigantic movement forward in our development. And then they, they let us be. They left, let us be. And so as we were let alone to just the creative force itself without manipulation externally, we began to develop and we developed more and more and more both sides because there's two sides to the emotional development the dark side, the dark and the light, the dance of the dark and the light. Now, (laughs) the dance of the dark and the light is frustrating because really, you know, I only want the light. What can I say? But I have to say that it is through my suffering, terrible suffering that has happened in my life that has turned me into a woman of light, of love, of compassion. It is the contrast that has produced this. So if you've got this, this, this race, millennium back and they saw this violence and they decide to eradicate it within their race and then all of a sudden they realize that they're also missing an actual sense of life and living you know what we can go out and we can i mean i'm working on my lawn right now i've got a very green thumb and i go out to see the blades of grass as they start to recover and (laughs) i'm working with my shrubs and they're living entities to me and I love them. And I talk to my plants like a nutcase, but I love them. And living, I can see within, I can see the life force 
perhaps as they tried to get rid of that violence, they also lost the other side. They tried to get rid of the darkness, but they lost the light, the real reason for living, right? That, that evolves us spiritually. And so they come back to this planet and they see what we're, the condition we're in. And yeah, we're still violent. And they don't want to deal with that, but they're mesmerized by our capacity for love, for compassion. And it's really, it's just my opinion. It's a far smaller percentage of people on this planet that have reached that place where they have been able to rise above the violence and the separateness and see us as connected to feel and develop that compassion and that love for all beings, you know? Um, and I see it, it's just my opinion, but I see it most in vegetarians, in vegans who begin to appreciate. So there's some of us that are moving and rising above. And I think the ETs have a particular interest in those people, pulling them out, looking at them. And if you talk to and look at so many experiencers, you see so many of them are love animals, love the earth, love the environment. So that may be, it. we have developed amongst our fellows, some of us in a different way. It doesn't mean we're better. It just means we have developed differently. And I think the ETs are interested in that. They may want to bring that element back into their race. The vegetarian facet of contact. Listen, I talk to plants as well. I feel mystically connected to my dog. For many people, there is something about these contact experiences which makes it impossible to keep eating animals. This is an aspect of contact that not everyone is enthusiastic to examine because the implications can be difficult. When did it become crystal clear for you that you needed to be vegetarian? Well, when I was a child, um, first of all, poor, poor mother was a very poor cook, but um, I called my parents Tom and Florence, okay? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a very warm family environment. They were Tom and Florence. But Tom came from, um, they were all born in Austria. They came from a different culture, if you will, and big, big meat eaters. My mother was not so much, so uh, meat was a huge thing. And I, you know, I, I befriended everybody and everything. I didn't care if it was a snake or it was a bug, um, a baby bird, a frog. Those things didn't bother me as a child. I just had this, I think I may have come in with it. Um, I can, I see the life force. I mean, it's a real thing that I see. And I, I think when you want something to respond to you, whether it's a plant or an animal, you have to tell them, I see you. I see you. That creates the connection. Everybody, everything wants to be acknowledged for its, its, its importance, its value. I don't care if it's a blade of grass. It all plays a part in the role in this planet, in, in God's world, you know? And, and as a child, I saw something different, you know? I, and then I saw the cruelty. I mean, I recall, it's a very cruel example, but it only emphasized to me how important my relationship to the planet, to living beings was early on. And I remember seeing a tiny little mouse. It was just a baby mouse. It was on our front lawn. And, oh, I was, I was about four and I was on my knees looking at this little mouse. 
And I was blown away. It was the cutest thing I'd ever seen in my life, a tiny, tiny field mouse. And I called to Tom to come look at it. And he was a very cruel man. And he, he and later on, he healed. Certain things happened. So we kind of made peace. But in that moment, he lifted his big foot up and he crushed it in front of me. And that was kind of a symbol of my childhood, what it was like. But rather than causing me to become hateful or angry, my compassion for that mouse, the value only grew even more because I saw how the world disregarded life and living beings. And so I would sit down to the table to eat and they would put a piece of meat on my plate and I would stare at this thing. I knew where it came from. And what would happen is that if I wouldn't eat that piece of meat, that they would turn the light out on me and leave the room. And I would have to sit for hours in the dark with that on my plate. And I couldn't eat that thing because it would have been a little pig or a cow. And so I had this little thing that I did and I would, I would be sitting in the dark and they would be in the other room watching TV and I would take that meat and wad it up sneakily and I would take it in a napkin and run it over and either throw it back in a pan that was on the stove or throw it in the garbage. And that's how I got my freedom out of the, <laughs> out of the dining room because <laughs> I pretended to eat it. So I had it early on. It was, Maybe it was because of my environment. I don't know what. But the darkness made me see the light and appreciate it and want to preserve it and protect it. Um, and as the years went by, you know, I, I had my own animal rescue for about five years um, in San Fernando Valley, California, going back into the um, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, rescuing cats and dogs and um it's just been vital. You know, my, my relationship to animals is just as vital as my relationship to art. It's sort of like the living beings feed me with their energy. I feed them back by taking care of them. And then that all of that energy comes and then it moves into the art and creates other things mm. in the art. And I think some of these species, I just think that they're mesmerized by that. They look at it and don't really fully understand it because genetically the shells that they're living in, that they've created modified limits. So they've got some work to come back up. Now there may very well be some of the other contactees talk about other, other evolved that maybe never lost that. But the ones that I've been in touch with seem to have lost some of that. And they're fascinated by it that the mantis wants to reawaken them to what potential we have. And that's what we are. I mean, creativity and art is visionary and it shows potential, what can be. That's what art is. Art shows what can be. It's open. It's vast. You stretch. And the more you stretch your art, the greater it grows, the greater the possibilities. With left brain, I'm very analytical too. I'm probably 50-50. And um, Left brain, I kind of take it this way. Right brain is the visionary. It goes out and it just stretches and sings and dances and paints brilliant colors and goes everywhere. 
And then is the time to call on left brain. Left brain then can come in and left brain can help orchestrate it, organize it. But that freedom is on the right brain in the art and the creativity and the singing and the dancing in the seeing the life in the beings. And then later on, you bring in and you use the left brain to help mold it afterwards. But the left brain is more controlling, analytical. Um, it knows how to present, store information. It's all very important. But I think that's part of what this is about, the fascination for our planet. I don't think you're 50-50. I think you're 75-75. <laughs> <laughs> If we try to imagine a future version of humanity in which we are coexisting with these entities, what is the future of art in that world? Is it diminished? Is it augmented? When you think of the collective whole, which is this field of infinite possibility, intelligence, love, creating out of itself, it will not be denied. Now, whether we're talking about human species or we're talking about reptilian or mantis, it all still comes from the one. And the one will not be denied. The one leads with love. And any of the darkness is a uh, misuse of the one power. And we get freedom. So we come out of this one this one dynamic, creative, boundless, loving, spiritual energy, and we're given freedom. Whether we, grow, whether we go into a, a tall white body or a reptilian body or a human body, and then there we go. Ultimately, the creative force of love and intelligence will not be denied. So I think that, say we come together, with several species and they're on our planet. Now they're already here, some of them are here. Some of them are here in, in the shadows. Some are there here, I believe, more openly. Now I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this yourself, maybe you have, you're pretty intuitive, but there's been moments that I've met people and I've said, they're not human. Mm -hmm. I don't care what they look like, these are, these, this is not a human being. Yep. This is something else. Yes. And I sense it and I know it. What I, I suppose I am an eternal optimist. I'm not stupid. I look out for the dangers. I know what's out there, but just the same. I believe in the force. I believe in the intelligence and the love of the universe. And I think that what's going to happen is that I think we're going to lose some people on our planet. Um, you know, the old saying of, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. That's what's going to happen. A lot of those living by the sword and are going to die by the sword. A lot of those that have chosen the darkness as a way to live their life, um, valuing violence, disrespecting the planet, disrespecting other living beings, not recognizing their value. Um, they will dissolve, I believe. So if let's move ahead 500 years, 1,000 years, I think that the love will reign. I think that we will transform and go back to the, the Eden that was in God's mind, spirit's mind on this particular planet. So 
regardless of who comes here, I don't think it will be denied. Uh, I think that the people that live in the light and choose the light on this planet, um, I really think we're in the smaller numbers. Say, so let's say, just pull a number out. Let's say we're 20%. And then we have those that live in the darkness. And that is the world that they perpetuate the darkness, the evil, the violence, the manipulation. Um, they may only be 10, 20%. The rest are apathetic. They make no choice. They live apathetically. They live day to day. They live without stretching, without reaching. So really, it's just a small percentage of the people. Um, a lot of those people are going to be gone. They're going to be gone if they don't take a stand for the light. The light's going to rise. It's going to move forward. And we may really find that whatever happens on the planet, you know, some people think they're going to take over the earth. I don't think any of that. I don't believe in that. Um, that would have happened a long time ago. That's not what this place is about. Um, we may learn from each other. They may be able to, with better, greater interaction, things are going to happen that is going to, a lot of the race is going to die off on the planet. A lot of the numbers are going to drop. Those that live in the light are going to rise to the surface and they, we will be the ambassadors for the human race. And I, I try to include myself in there. I probably won't be here because I'm too old at this point, but maybe if I reincarnate again and I come back again, I'll be supporting the light. So those that are really living in the light now and in the future are going to be the ambassadors for the race. And, and we may attract something very different than what we see right now. And those races that are in contact with us, watching us, wanting to get what we have, they want to recapture something. They know they're missing something. They're living in a cerebral world, some of them, and they're missing. What does joy feel like? What does, you know, laughter feel like? Have you ever seen, you know, anyone laugh? You know, any of the ETs laugh? A lot of them, their mouths are no longer developed. And, and from a different point of view, um, some of the ETs take nutrients through their skin. They're not orally inclined anymore. Mm -hmm. They're not set up that way. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, they don't eat each other. <laughs> That's a very good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, um, Pete. I mean, I, honest to God, I, I look at an animal. I mean, if you really think about, think about how barbaric. I'm going to take another species, and I'm going to group them all together. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them food and water only so that I can eat them in the future. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't even tell you. Even as a child, it is the most horrifying concept. Eating another, the flesh of another being. I'm sorry, but that's where I'm at. I've been that way my whole life. You know, conditioning. Uh, I dabbled in eating a little chicken, a little this through my adult years, but I never lived with it well, ever, 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 ever. And now that I'm free of all of that, I have to admit that I sneak a little yogurt now and then. That's my, <laughs> that is well, my indulgence. That is my indulgence. <clears throat> and even then I have a conscience. I think that's it too, is that, you know, this world is so interesting because 
you know, a lot of these societies and cultures are set up that they can barely survive day to day. They don't even have the wherewithal to think beyond. You know, I, I support a number of the organizations against, you know, uh, eating dogs in some of the Asian markets. It's horrifying to me. Uh, my souls are intertwined. My soul is intertwined with dogs, you know, and uh, my life would not be the same. I have had dogs in my life my entire life and they've been vital to me. And, but some of these people, they live such a limited, in such a limited world and view that they don't have the time or the, the wherewithal to even think of another living being because they can't even feed their children. I think those things are going to change. I think we will eventually merge in time into one people, but I think it's the people that have moved beyond that. And I do believe people that stop eating animals and using animals, um, I think it creates a different type of human being. That brings up a question about the dark and light. Do you think humanity will get to a point where it no longer needs to have trauma and shadow braided together in order for us to grow and develop? It seems trauma and violence have played a part in almost all of our developmental movements. Can we get to a point where we can grow without the negative being so woven into our change? Is that possible? Well, all these different cultures that we have on the planet need to merge into one. As we become Earth's people with a culture that is um, more integrated, we integrate, I mean, like, if we look at, and we look what happened with the blacks and the whites. And now, you know, you could look at the blacks and the whites. You can look at the gay population. And they were so separate at one point, so separate. I mean, you go back and see what the, the you know, the African-American race has suffered. And it just rips my heart when I see that. I cannot hardly believe what happened. And now we see emerging, we see black and white marrying. And my heart is glad because now we start to become one race, one culture. So each and every culture has some negatives and some positives. As, as we evolve over time, eventually we are going to merge into one culture where the best of everything comes in. Will there be some negatives? Yes. but I think when all the best comes together, um, I mean, if we look at the way the Buddhists live, right? Now we can look at um, some things in Christianity, because we're talking about, when talking culture, we're talking about the food that they eat, the way that they eat, the way they respect animals and the planet or don't respect it. We look at the way they believe in God, so, you know, an omnipotent being or energy, and all these things come together. Who knows what could happen? I mean, the possibilities are incredible. Now, you look at our culture and we're going to say, are we going to, you know, torture dogs in the street and then we're going to eat them? We're going to, we're going to dice them right up there and serve them up to people on the street. We don't do that here. We're not going to do that here. But they do that over there. But we may do something here that they don't do there. So over time, it is, you know, as the world grows... Um, a lot of our best from all the cultures will come together and merge. There'll be less differences. 
And as we unite our good together, I believe we'll be able to, um, the darkness is the darkness. But when all of these energies come together from all the cultures and we begin to blend into one race, we have a little Asian in us, we have a little black in us, we have a little German in us, we have a little everything in us, and all the cultures merge, we could become, I mean, bringing all of that together, we could all together um, create a force that overpowers the negativity, um, uh, the darkness, because there's so much good in all different cultures too. We bring them together and who knows what we will become. And so together united as a united people on the planet, I mean, we may look at it, we could look at nirvana, you know, we could bring together, you know, we look back at say Catholicism and the crusades when the Protestants were trying to break off from the Catholics and they slaughtered one another in the name of God. Wow. And then we, we look into a whole different thing. You know, we, we look into, you know, India and, and uh, the gurus and, but just, we just take all of this. We're too, as a, as a planet, I think we're just too disjointed. We're too fragmented. In time, we're going we're gonna to com, come together more. 500 years from now, if the cultures merged, um, we could become more powerful as a race in a good way. And a lot of the apathy could disappear. A lot of the darkness would grow smaller. Um, there's my eternal optimist again. I want to change direction and ask you about the relationship between the large mantis beings and the smaller insect mantises that we have on Earth. I've had experiences where I felt the big ones were clearly using the little ones to signal me. And there is a clear morphological link. What's your impression? What's the deal with the insect form and its relationship to the larger alien form of the mantis? Well, they do like me. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> they show up because I'm, you know, I always have a very green yard wherever I'm living. It's, you know, and they like me. They show up all the time. And I have an absolute fascination for them. Um, I have gone to great lengths. Uh, a number of times to try to capture, save them, and take them to another area because they do like to go. I I have hummers. I I do humming. I always have a bird outdoor bird sanctuary. I always have hummers and a whole variety of birds that come. And so a praying mantis do like, you know, it's hard to believe, but a praying mantis can eat a hummingbird, and yeah. it's, it's a fairly common thing. So they do show up. And so they show up on my, you know, laying in wait on my, <laughs> my Hummer feeders. And so we have a talk. Do you think they're responsive to you? We to have your... a little talk. Well, they just, I mean, they're so fascinating. Yeah, you get a sense of energy and, and a sense of intelligence coming off of them. I don't know, but I really like them. And um, so I will find them and I'll, I'll give them a talking to them. Now, you know, the front yard is yours. You can go anywhere in the front yard. So I pick them up and he gets carried over into the front yard, put on a bush or a tree. And it's happened in this house where I'm at. I get them a lot now. And um, 
<laughs> so we have our little talk. Uh, they know that that's off limits. They can do whatever they need to do and eat any other bugs. But, you know, my birds are left alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> and sometimes they've come back to the backyard, the same one, you know, because they all look a little different. But um, I don't know. They're, they're, uh, they're very interesting insects. I, I, I pick up something more from them. Um, I hold them kind of in <laughs> fairly high esteem. <laughs> the, Can't see. I, well, I haven't really seen a connection between them, but let's face it. Apparently, they're some of the same species. Parts of the, the mantis um, energy has evolved into a greater, uh, greater uh, consciously aware entity like the mantis that we have encountered. And they came from somewhere. That that that's is the design right there. But uh, in that evolution, obviously, they've become uh, more docile and more compassionate than those little dickens that show up in my yard. <laughs> There's a connection there somehow. They're built the same. They look the same. Um, and and when you you encounter these small ones, the little ones, of course, obviously, you felt something from them too. I was just curious because the big one told me that they had created the little ones and that they seeded the earth with them tens or hundreds of millions of years ago. Well, and that's an that's... interesting concept too. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of this stuff, all you can do is ponder and yeah. hypothesize, but there's a connection there between them somehow, some way. But, um, you know, when you look at them, the little ones, they're looking back at you. <laughs> yes, they are. They see you. <laughs> There's yeah. no doubt about it. Now, I, you know, I save everything. You know, ugly old spiders in the house. I'm going to catch that. Oh my God! I've gone to great lengths to catch insects and carry them outside. And you know, <laughs> it's like I see you. I see you. But you're going outside. You know. What would your advice be to other contact experiencers? You went through such a long, difficult process of going public with your experiences. What do you recommend for people struggling in private with their contact? Well, you know, we are in a society that is still playing the whole thing down. I mean, things have evolved a lot over the last 20 years, which is fabulous. You know, we're talking about it. We have researchers, there's films, there's YouTube, there's movies being made. It's happening. Disclosure is happening. It will never come directly from the government. So, um, you know, a lot of people are going to go kicking and screaming into this. And, you know, because uh, some of the species are very physically inclined, doing physical examinations and testing and things, the whole thing of loss of control for any human being is terrifying. You know, we, we try to hold on tight and it's terrifying. Um, it, the integration of my spiritual life into this, bringing this phenomenon into my spiritual world was absolutely essential. I had to go beyond seeing them as the enemy. I had to recognize that they were also uh, part of the creator. They had evolved out of the one life that I love totally, completely, and respect the one life of spirit, God, our creator. And they are part of that also. I had to recognize that. I had to recognize that they weren't all the same. And, you know, I worked, you know, as a paralegal for my career. And so I was working in law firms, solely in law firms. 
And of course, that's very left brain, cerebral. There's no space for art in that environment. And um, so I was, I was apprehensive about, you know, sharing that. It was funny because the first book that I did was, uh, um, it came out in 07, 08, uh, and it was Alien Experiences. And I co-wrote that with Barbara Lamb, who's uh, um, another, ex uh, not an experiencer, but she's an author and psychotherapist. And I remember when my boss came to me and he was a partner in the firm and somewhere or other, you know, it was kind of hush hush. Somebody here would say they heard about me. They saw an interview or something on TV or something. And then they would come to me and want to buy the book and it'd be all hush hush. Uh, but eventually one of the partners of the firm came to me and said, I understand you wrote a book about aliens. And uh, I was, you know, yeah. Okay. Because I didn't want to, I, you know, it, it, I did not want, first of all, there was so much mockery and judgment. And it's very insulting, you know. Um, it's very insulting to somebody who is really rational and grounded and really trying to evaluate these experiences. And somebody mocks you and makes fun of you. And then, of course, there's, you know, is this going to impact my job? He comes to me and says, I'd like to buy your book. And I said, well, Doug, you're going to have to find it on your own because this is not something I'm promoting in the work environment. And um, he did. He was a, a wonderful person, a very intelligent man. And uh, he ran a number of cities in Southern California. He was there, you know, a, a consul for a number of big cities in California. And so he was out there in the world in public and I didn't want to reflect on him either since I worked with him daily. And I used to go to some of the cities and work out of those locations. But anyway, ultimately, a number of people did buy the book. And um, I guess I was surprised that, um, there was that there was far less judgment than I expected. Strangely enough, what I did run into, the people closest to me were the most judgmental. The piece that people closest to me, my closest friends or family, were the ones that were going to were going to make a mockery of it more than anybody else. The more distant someone was from me, the more they considered what I had to say. And what I think that's about is that. So, so partly, it's more difficult sharing it with close family and friends. It's easier to find a group and to start to connect and get your strength from others. You know, as a group. But I think what happens is that if you are known and recognized by those people close to you as being a grounded, rational person, they know that you've got your wits about you, you're, you're, they know your intelligence, how you live your life, and that you are the person that tells them we're not alone in the universe. It's more real than anything they would have heard on the TV or from somebody distant or from a movie. It's mm. more shocking and more difficult for them to accept it. So a lot, initially, they have to cut you off, shut you down. So my advice to somebody is to find groups um, and try just to listen for a long time before you reveal. You know, it revealed in a, in a way that's comfortable for you.
share in a way that's comfortable for you don't violate or harm yourself don't put yourself around people that you know are going to make fun of you i mean i had i remember having one of my one of the talks that i had done some years back was picked up by a secondary company and what they did is it's one of the big ones up there now they do movies and everything they took that interview and they distorted it in the way they presented it they presented it in such a way of saying that oh this particular experience is going to tell you exactly what happened and who's gonna do it and what's happening in the future in 10 years down the line she's gonna tell you what it is you gotta listen to this well as a result boom and, and just almost overnight the way they presented it it was a quarter of a million people watched that video and they did not present it right. That was not what the talk was about, how it was presented, that I had any great insight. I was just gonna share my experience, strength, and hope, that was it. And by the way they presented it and distorted it, oh my goodness, the attack came. Because the, the way that it was uh, presented, the material presented, which is a lot of how other people are gonna receive it. How do you present your story? How do you talk about it? Um, very, very important to, you know, one of the things you find is you find a lot of people that talk about the crafts. It's easy to talk about UFOs. They showed up in the sky and we've got video and there's a, some trace evidence from landing and all these research to get together and they talk about that safe zone. Oh yeah, because we're objectifying it. That's easy. but when you're talking about researchers trying to research contact, there's no uniform way of talking about it. We don't talk about trace evidence. We're not, we need a more uniform way of talking about it. And um, sometimes you'll watch interviews and I absolutely want to jump out of my skin because this can be a perfectly valid story that someone has to share. It's important about their contact, but they don't, they don't know quite how to present it. And they present it in a way that almost unintentionally disgraces the whole subject. So what I hope to see in time is that contactees, experiencers begin to come together in a way that we understand how important we are here to share with the world that we're not alone because we're on the forefront. And how we present makes all the difference in the world as to whether someone's going to listen to us or not, make fun of us or not. Um, and that's what I hope, that's what I hope this book, the way I presented things in my book, uh, was not a raving, you know, Looney Tune. And um, so I say, if you've got something you need to share, being with other people who have been there helps tremendously. You can sit back, hold back a little, wait to see what other people have to say in the group. Slowly, carefully, without wounding yourself, share with people that you believe are going to be willing to listen to you. Consider it, you know. Uh, there are another way that's really helpful. There's a number of psychotherapists that are now willing to step forward and deal with experiencers and, and also able to stand up and say, look, this is a real experience, like John Mack was. These people are really having these experiences, you know. So I say move forward gently and carefully. And, and it's not necessary to try to disclose to those closest to you because it, it, it can be one of the most challenging areas.
And, and, you know, honestly, and I think this is an important point, would I change any of this that has happened to me? No. Would I change all of the contacts that were initially very traumatizing? No. Would I change even all of the trauma stuff that happened in my childhood? No. Because all of this came together to create my perspective now, my foundation. Whatever I'm building now, I'm going to take with me when I leave my, this body. And wherever I come back again, because I do believe in reincarnation, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. I am an energy source. I am a soulful energy. And I will continue to live on some plane of action somehow, some way. Taking everything that's been given to me, however I might judge it, good, bad, or indifferent, is vital to take it all in. This, this soup of experience in life and let it create in me, uh, molding me um, a higher vision, a higher self, uh, a greater experience, a greater sharing, a greater love, greater whatever I'm going to become. I take it with me here and later on. So processing these ET experiences, whether it's with the mantis or whatever, it's, I mean, it's difficult. It's challenging. But so is life, getting to the other side of it, taking all of it, not discounting any of it. Use it, work with it, turn whatever it is into something for goodness, you know? That's what's vitally important. You can't walk away from this or deny it. And I denied it for a long time. I, I pushed it down. I was angry because I'd had a lot of issues in my life just being a human being to deal with. And then all of a sudden I get this awakening, but what's the magic we have innately within us. Spirit knows how to tell us things, you know, and our own higher self within us. It says, okay, she's processed all of this and done pretty good. Now we can give her a little more of her truth, a little more of her story. So the, the so my, my subconscious mind releases a little more information. Whoa. Everything expands. Didn't give it to me all at once. Our life looks rough, but it also is very gentle in the way spirit reveals and molds us and, and evolves us. It's a gentle process. So I'm so grateful that so much of my human work coming out of the, the dysfunctional family, all the things I had to process, most of that was all done once given this reality. Okay, good. You ate that course. Here comes your dessert. Then all of this comes into my life and gets to be incorporated. I say, don't be afraid, you know, um, you know, walk steadfastly and, and, you know, uh, slowly and carefully move into it and, and start to bring it into your life and use it to work for you. The book is Evolution, Coming to Terms with the ET Presence, Nadine's site is alienexperiences.com. Dave Davies of the legendary band The Kinks was telepathically contacted by multiple non-human entities. Davies recounts that, quote, the intelligences did not tell me who they were, but two of them said they had always been my spirit guides. 
Two others were entities who were not of this earth, but who were involved in missions here as watchers or nurturers of our race. The intelligences showed me by some kind of thought projection things which they have on their spacecraft. They showed me crystal computers that monitor the actions of every single person living on Earth. I was fortunate to have been given a lot of information all at once. It takes a long time for some of this stuff to actually seep into the unconscious mind. It's all related to my personal growth to a consciousness shift." End quote. Davies believes the spiritual messages received during genuine contacts are, quote, the most important and revolutionary aspect of UFOs and close encounters with ETs. Many people seem to be coming out of the closet and coming to me for answers and opening themselves up with all kinds of this stuff. There is a way out of the misery, hatred, and confusion, end quote. The Kinks have released 28 albums and are on Rolling Stone's list of 100 greatest artists of all time. Hello, friends. Stuart here. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider becoming a patron. What happens with your money, you wonder? I take your donations and I go to the grocery store and I buy food for my daughters. They eat it because people have to eat to live, even some artists. So just go to stuartdavis.com, click on the Patreon tab, and thank you so much for your support. 